What if every day you had the chance to experience more love and intimacy in your life? We're going to be sharing stories of struggles and triumphs in love, sex, and relationships, along with expert advice to create more conscious connections. Enjoy this podcast with Dawn Richard. Wake up to real love. Hi, everyone. This is Dawn Richard, also known as The Awakening with Dawn, and this is the Wake Up to Real Love show. I am here. uh, We share stories of struggles and triumphs in love, sex, and relationships, along with expert advice to create more conscious connections. I'm so honored today to be joined by my new friend and, and colleague for a while, Barry Selby. Hi, Barry. Hi, Dawn. Thanks for having me here. Yeah, Barry is... He is a man with a mission. He has so much wisdom. So Barry is a passionate champion for the divine feminine, helping strong, successful women create balance in love, life, and business. He's a relationship attraction expert, best-selling author, spiritual guide, sought-after inspirational speaker, and a wise and compassionate guide to love. Yes, he is. I can attest to that. With four decades of training and experience, including a master's degree in spiritual psychology and over 20 years as a spiritual counselor, Barry has helped thousands learn to love themselves and live in wholeness. I'm so happy to have you here. Welcome, Barry. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so glad you invited me. Thank you. Yes. Okay. So this is kooky. We were just talking and I want to know what you told me that you have this love for sci-fi and you used to be a computer guy and that's totally (laughs) different from what we're going to talk about. Indeed. So how in the world, how in the world did your love for those things happen <laughs> i would say the best way to plot you know, describe is i had a parallel life there's uh-huh. my work life and then my my personal life in the sense uh-huh. that my work life was all like the different jobs i had and i've had six plus careers up until the one i'm doing now but on the personal side i was going through my own journey of evolution relationships it's making mistakes and then diving into personal growth and development back in 84 so almost 40 uh-huh. years now and that's really what was working more for me because my work was just paying the bills but right. What was filling up my heart and giving me fulfillment in life was being more expressed because of that. And frankly, I knew at some point they would merge. Mm. And it was because of the, my quote, transformation experience, but basically the paradigm shift I had back in 2007, where I realized I had to live my life the way that I, I should say, I had to live my vocation the way I live my life, which mm. is to bring my, my skills into the world to help other people in a much bigger way than just doing tech support or doing computer design or whatever I was doing back then. Because don't people kind of compartmentalize a lot of times? Well, men do more than women. Um, oh. Sorry. Now you, now you got me thinking about um, there's, there's a, there's a minister called Mark Gunga who's on, he's on YouTube. He's, on, he's been on YouTube, but he's a minister back East. Uh-huh. He has a for his, his congregation. And he has this videos, videos on YouTube called a tale of two brains. And he has these um, like, porcelain skulls like phrenology skulls these white skull um, heads right on pillars on the stage one's a male brain one's a female brain he says the male brain is all compartmentalized whereas a female brain is all connected really yeah i can describe it more detail but that's what he said so when he said compartmentalized, interesting yeah oh interesting because the way the way he describes it and i think it's really true is when you ask a man a question about something like you know what happened saturday he will basically this is obviously um, metaphor versus real. The, uh, he yeah. goes in his brain, he finds that one little box with the answer in it. And by the way, none of the boxes touch. They're all separate. He takes that one box, takes the answer from it, gives it to you, puts it back in the box, put the box back in, and that's it. Yeah. So you ask a question of a man, you get a very simple answer about a very simple thing done. 
when you ask a woman the same question, she's going to tell you the answer, but everything connected to it as well is all connected. Get to the point. This is what men say, right? Right? Because we're different, because we think differently than, I mean, you know, John Gray's Mars and Venus thing makes a lot of sense because functionally, men and women do think differently as a natural, I should say, masculine. Well, it's only men and women because the thing is, because we're talking men and, men and women, but also on top of that, you've got masculine and feminine, right? Which is not, not one for one match because we carry both inside of us. Anyway, right. That's another conversation piece. Right. So basically, we say compartmentalize. That's something I know men do very well. That's a long way to go to answer a simple question. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so then why do why do men compartmentalize? Well, it's the way we're wired, basically. The, the functionality, the way I've learned from my own studies of masculine feminine polarity is that men are focused on um, completion, endings, being done. So we focus on getting it done, complete, over. Because we want basically... Um, like the goal, like achieving the goal. In a sense, yeah, because for us, for us men, really, what our most comfortable places comfortable place to be is done feed up relax we finish the goal like relax. post like post sex <laughs> in a way <laughs> i guess <laughs> but for, for women though more, more enjoyment comes from the journey the exploration the um whatever's going so there's something about women's energy that is more about enjoying what's happening like exploring uh. and embracing everything and it's the the way that I started with my teachers and I feel more aligned to it. It's kind of like the yin and yang. They're just opposites. So like, whereas feminine is more light, openness and aliveness, masculine is more shut down, dark completion, death, ultimately. Like there's why wow. a lot of men, well, no, it's like a lot of men like dancing on the edge of that. We take more risks physically because death is kind of like our, our greatest challenge, so to speak. Uh-huh. Like we, we, we do stupid stuff as men or as boys. That we yes, you do. do as much. Yeah. Because we run that risk or should, so we should say we like playing that game. Uh-huh. Whereas the feminine is more drawn to embracing all of life. So not so much being safe, but being life focused versus emptiness focused. There's a difference between the two em- polarities. Though. Emptiness focused? Emptiness. We emptiness. want to be emptied out, done. Now, our, we, we, for, for most men, yes, they do a lot of, we do a lot of things, but our goal is to be done with them. Huh. That's our, our greatest, um, achievement is to be, because the thing is, um, I'm, I'm going to is, the, is there like a sense of accomplishment or it, like it finishing a task or like, because you, if you, you know, go out for the hunt, you got the hunt and you bring it back, you're done. Yeah. Put a feet up. It's like, okay, done my job. <laughs> Over. <laughs> That's kind of the way we're wired in a way. Uh-huh. I mean, this again, and this is generalization because there are right. definitely, of course. So the difference between masculine and feminine polarity, because, and this is stuff I've studied quite deeply in the last 15 years, is that we actually carry both inside of us. Basically, the way that I, I think of it now is that masculine and feminine are two ends of a spectrum. And we live somewhere on that spectrum, naturally reside somewhere, and then we spend time all over it, depending what's going on in life. Correct. Like if we focus on going somewhere, driving a car, right. we tend to be in a masculine energy because we've got to go to a destination, which is a masculine thing. Right. doesn't matter what physical, what our gender is, it doesn't make a difference. But if we're, um, if we're basically, if we're holding a baby and nurturing a baby, it doesn't matter again, it doesn't matter on the gender, we're still in that feminine energetic, which is more that tenderness. Exactly. Yeah. So it, the thing about masculine and feminine energy is that it generally resides masculine with male and feminine with female, but we don't spend all our time there, which is one reason why relationships can work and why they can fail. Because 
just, I mean, I'm going to a whole rabbit hole here, but no, no, is, this is great. I mean, this is how I want this conversation to go. Trust me. Okay. okay. <laughs> so one of the things that I learned, and this is one of the things I paid the price of is that I didn't know that chemistry could be extended because chemistry, something that happens initially when you meet somebody, it's all like fire and excitement. But right. It fades over time. Right. The thing is, I didn't know you could recharge it. And most people don't know you can recharge it because most people get bored in their relationships. They sort of get into a habit or a routine. Right. And the things what I discovered, and it's something I didn't realize until I look back on it now and see what happened, is that when I started studying masculine and feminine polarity, I recognized that because it is a spectrum we live on, we can choose where we want to be on that spectrum at any one point in time. Mm-hmm. We have freedom to choose. So it's not so much we're controlled by the environment. We control ourselves in that environment. We are the so, creator. Exactly. So yeah. in romantic relationship, one of my teachers described this, and I love the, this illustration of an idea, is that if if two if a couple, and it can work for gay as well as straight relationships, this is basically, again, masculine and feminine energy. Energy, right. When when two, when two a couple comes together to basically they want to make love, they want to go to bed and have sex, you can just do that. That's great. But if you want to really build up the energetic polarity, which is what, what the masculine and feminine spectrum is, it's a polarity of extremes like magnets. So the stronger the magnetic pull, the more attraction there is. Same thing, masculine and feminine energy. The more masculine energy, the more feminine energy that each partner carries, the more attraction there is, which is chemistry. Mm-hmm. So if you do practices that recharge those batteries, so to speak, so for men, either to go do things that build up masculine energy, which could be sports and competitive things, it could be hiking or hunting, you do something that's very physical, that's what brings men back to their masculinity. Uh-huh. I mean, it could be just being with their female friends and doing things like that. It could be even even shopping or dancing or anything like that that puts it back in the femininity of movement and energetics. It can help that way. But the other way that one of my teachers put it was, he and his partner do this, is when they want to make it sacred, they stand across from each other and the, whoever wants to go first, like the masculine partner in his, in his imagination gathers up all his feminine energies you during that day and puts it into a little bundle and gives to her for safekeeping. Oh. She does the same thing with her masculine energy she's been carrying all day, gives into a bundle, gives it to him. And I was, I just, I just started doing stereotypical male female, but, I, but it was the like, hey, gay couples do. So the, the feminine partner puts all the masculine energies together for their partners to hold on for safekeeping. And the masculine partner gathers up all his, all their feminine energy, gives to their feminine partner for safekeeping. What that does is it puts an intention into the polarity. It puts an intention into the magnetism, which basically is chemistry. So it's recharging the batteries. Interesting. So that you, so that, so that the feminine energy, I'll say the female in, in my situation. Right. So I would, so I would say, okay, whatever masculine doing, striving, pushing, goal oriented, I'm going to let that, I'm going to put that in a container and give it to you to hold so that I can be more open and receptive in my feminine because I'm open and receptive. Right. That's my job. <laughs> yeah. And you most in your natural state that way. Yeah. And you give me your feminine so that you can use your agency to penetrate me. Not yeah. just physically, but emotionally, psychologically, yeah. spiritually, etc. So wow, that's really oh, that's really, really interesting. Yeah. And again, this is one of my teachers. I didn't or I didn't originate this, but I definitely love sharing it because it's so profound. Yeah. Simple. It doesn't cost you anything. <laughs> well, but how, okay. So how do people actually do that? So what does, so we can talk about it intellectually. Mm-hmm. What does it actually mean or how does it look when the two people are coming together? Because this is, this is part of, 
every relationship, sexual, non-sexual, is you have this sense of giving and receiving this sort of ebb and flow back mm-hmm. and forth, right? So how does, how does this look in an intimate partnership when you do this? Well, I'm not sure how it looks as how it feels. I mean, how, how it feels. Yeah, how it feels. Well, it feels mostly, again, like I mentioned, how masculine and feminine, when their extremes are like magnets being put together, which are very strong. So the magnet right. is much cleaner and stronger. The feminine energy is in a receptive place. The masculine energy is a more protective place. Mm-hmm. And and the fun thing is when you're in a couple, especially if you do have a very deep relationship, you can switch roles energetically too, where the woman can become the dominant mm-hmm. and the masculine can be the receptive, if that's right. what you want to with. But again, that's something that is not done through this battling. It's done by right. cooperation. But choosing. So the dance of that really is how it works best is to make that intentional. Because the whole point about this is intention is you want to create a sacred space, a, a honoring space for each other and to respect each other. Yeah. Yes. Obviously, sometimes sex can be wham, man. Thank you, ma'am. And you know, it is what it is. But in the spectrum of choices in, in sex, there's a lot of some high level versions that are more intimate, more sensual, more vulnerable, more, um, united. This was some sacred word, a word. Okay, so if if a man is giving his feminine to the the, the woman mm-hmm. in this situation, does that mean that he can't be vulnerable? Well, no. There's the whole point about it is is, is symbolic. First of all, you're not okay. actually going out and going. Okay, let me pull out the energy and give. No, it to no, you. I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> you know, but it's the, but it's it's just in the, it's an imagination. So you're basically creating an intention. Uh-huh. To occupy more your masculine or feminine space, depending on who you are, uh-huh. by giving what isn't your natural or I, it's what you've been using as part of your function for the day. Yeah, I mean, it is your natural inclination. It's yeah, how you and, show and up, people, how you choose to. Yeah, and most people don't go through the day thinking about their relationship as primary focus. They're busy doing their jobs or taking care of the kids or right. doing errands or accomplishing projects, whatever it right. is. So when you come together in the evening, oftentimes sex is the last thing on your mind anyway. Because you're just done for the day. You're tired. So you have fast. no energy left. Right. But if you decide that you say, okay, let's, let's do something to change the energetic of who we are together. And you make that space because you're creating a new container between the two of you. And by having that exchange of energetic, even though it is just in your imagination, in your hand, you're giving them something which you can't see. Mm-hmm. You may, you may get a feeling of some sort, but if you're really tuned in, but most of us aren't. So you're basically, here's the, here's the intention I'm giving you that energy uh-huh. and you're giving me this energy and let's see what happens. Interesting. It's <laughs> really <laughs> fascinating. But what I've heard, it can be really wonderful because if nothing else, it shifts all the stuff that you've been carrying the day out the window. Yeah. It brings us present. Which, I mean, that's the, that's the thing I, that I think that's half the battle being present with yourself, first of all, yeah. and then learning how to be present with the other. Absolutely. Because so many of us just disconnect, right? Oh, uh, it's we just yeah, <laughs> so preoccupied and distracted. Which function? It's amazing we can function anyway. Uh huh. How did how did you get into? Why did you decide to to pursue a degree in spiritual psychology? Because this is all related. This is all related. <laughs> of course, everything was related <laughs> together. <laughs> Mr. Um, Computer Sci-Fi, right? Spiritual psychology. Let me, let me let me start with what started the whole thing rolling back in 1984. Uh-huh. Um, I, I moved I moved to America in '81 from England. For those who don't know, that's an English accent. I'm, I, I express. <sighs> I was working in aerospace at the time, 
And I got my green card, so I wasn't working freelance because I was making more money back in the 80s. That was the way to do it. Uh-huh. And I was working with this guy I'd met in, this is at um, one of the aerospace companies in LA. And he came Boeing, in. Boeing, Lockheed. Uh, no, Rockwell, actually. Oh, Rockwell, okay. My so dad we, was in we, the aerospace industry, that's why I said. <laughs> right. They were working down. Also, I also got to where they were working. We said they're building. Yeah. I'm not sure this is back. Yeah, it still is. Ago. Yeah, still is. Yeah. yeah. So we used to meet up in the basement for coffee every morning. That was kind of our ritual before we went to work. Uh-huh. So he came down in the morning and he was a few minutes later than usual to meet up before we go to work. And I was like, you know, you look pretty worn out. I was like, where have you been? You look, you know, it was, it was a, it was a Thursday morning. I remember because he, the Wednesday night, because that's the first night of the seminar he'd been at. He didn't tell me this at the time. Uh-huh. He said, so where have you been? It's like, you, you got drinking last night? I said, no, it was at a seminar. And I said, why on earth is it a seminar? I had no idea. <laughs> right, my first right. exposure to this. And so it starts explaining. So, and, and the way this, I remember him describing, which may not be accurate, but it's what I remember him saying was he, he, met, he, he learned some cool information, let some good information, met some cool people, and there were some cute women. And I said, where do I sign? <laughs> <laughs> so that was ulterior so motive. <laughs> hey, I was, I was late twenties, mid twenties at the time. Yeah, why not? Why not? And, and so basically he got, I went to the next seminar that was happening. That was in December of 84. And, I was in it, 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 it that, that in those days, the seminar was like on a Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night, and then all weekend and then had a Monday night event. So you could do it like work nine to five and go to the event. Okay. And the first night is a, is an extended night because they do a process that is open ended based on the participants. So it's not structured. So once you get in that process, you go to your done, which could go mm. till 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, midnight, one, whatever it is. Right. His group went late as we didn't. So we got to get home a decent hour. Anyway. It was interesting. I was definitely enjoying the process, but on Saturday is when things started happening for me. Because up to that point, it's like, that's interesting. That's cool. Okay. Use that. But Saturday, they started doing more experiential stuff, mm. more, more deeper questions, more provocative processes. Uh-huh. And I remember vividly the moment things clicked for me was it was sometimes Saturday late morning or late afternoon. I don't know. We didn't work with your module during the, during the day. And we were doing it. We did a lot of dyad processes sitting across to somebody. Right. And the, the re- suggestion before we started was to find the person in the room we had the most challenge with, the most, the person we had most oh. like, mm, who like, triggered us the most. Right. Yeah. So I picked, I picked this guy who I looked upon as having all together. He had like the, he, I, because he had, because of my eyes again, you know, in my twenties, he had like a, a, a really nice quasi leather jacket. He had like great cowboy boots on. Again, this is again, young age. He had a good tan and he had a Porsche key tag hanging from his key, from his pocket. Uh-huh. Like, this guy's got it together. Oh, this is the guy, as I'm most challenged by, I want to choose him. Uh-huh. So we sit down in the dyad and the dyad happened to be on the theme of hiding. Oh. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so the questions were based on, you know, um, how do you hide? Um, what do you gain from hiding? Um, what is it? What benefits do you get? How could you, how could you be less hiding? Something like that was the questions. Uh-huh. And it was starting to, it was something that I could feel it stirring stuff up inside me. Because we were say, you know, eye to eye across the ta- across the room. Now, this is this again is eighty four. I'm still learning how to be a man, as it were, in my early twenties. Looking into this guy's eyes and not breaking eye contact, so look at the questions and then come back to him. Wow, that was enough. That was hard enough. Right. And then at right. the end of the diet, we said, okay, they said, okay, now close your eyes, take a few deep breaths. Now they're going to play a song, and this is back in the eighties. All the songs of John Denver. <laughs> <laughs> So, so they said, okay, we play this song. And it was actually, um, a song called Come and Let You, Come and Let You Me Look in Your Eyes, which is the perfect song. He said, okay, you look in each other's eyes and hold the space. This is like a three minute song. So for three minutes, I'm looking in this guy's eyes and the waterworks stuff. Like my eyes start leaking. I'm just like, cause I'm starting to feel the walls come down. 
Yeah. I mean, it's like I forget goosebumps now thinking about it. It was, and this is, this, this I've done that for us a few times, but that, that first step, because we did a bunch of ones beyond that, but that was the beginning of the change for me where I suddenly realized there's something going on here. There's something to this. It's not just about cute women or good information. Right. There's transformation happening. I'd feel a difference inside. And that was the, the spark that put me on the, the journey all the way through, including getting my master's degree to get back to what you said, asked, asked about which I took because I saw the value in it. I saw people who graduated from the two-year program that took my understanding of personal growth or development and raised the bar to a higher level. Wow. Because the process of the journey being spiritual psychology, it wasn't just academic or clinical or they could right. do those things afterwards. It was really about holistic viewpoints of people. Like if we're a whole complete, how do we get back there? How do we stop? How do we heal the stuff in the way of that? Mm-hmm. And because the viewpoint was is that the that when we go through the journey, when we're practicing the counseling in the process, it was very practical, very experiential. So instead of being just taught theory for two years and then doing a test, we spent most of the time in processes like they do in triad, triad format, where there'd be three people because it'd be a client, counselor, neutral observer in the setup. Uh-huh. And so every single time we got together, there was a practice of the skill and a transformation because of the skill. So we'd be the client working through our stuff. So it was free therapy as well. Wow. But, but at the end of the two-year program, it was, what I loved about it most, more than anything else is because I came out of the doors having verification I could use the skills because I've been a counselor so many times during these two years. Right. Verification I was healed a lot because of my my experience in the client chair through the journey and also witnessing other people doing it too, being the neutral observer. So we had this experience and it was such a great design. Unfortunately, in the client, this program after 25 years, it was about five years ago, I guess they did it. No, more than 25, about 30 years. Finally got stopped from proceeding as an academic institution because they don't teach academic. They teach experiential. That's sad. And yeah, yeah the, the, uh, whatever association of schools in the West Coast said that they weren't going to recertify them because they're supposed to have in their format something like 95% academic and 5% experiential. And mm. the University of Santa Monica was the other way around. It was like 5% right. academic. 90% experience you practiced, you used it. I mean, that's one reason I'm so grateful because it gave me all, basically it was the best coaching skills I ever learned. Wow. I'm not a co- I don't coach in the traditional sense of coaching because it's not my background. Right. But the counseling plus my 20 years plus years of spiritual counseling in my spiritual center has given me such a depth of comfort in being that space holder that becomes easy. Yeah. It's a, it's definitely a skill because so many people are, um, distracted and suppressed. Yeah. It's like, what does it mean to be present mm-hmm. with someone else? So what a beautiful gift. I'm very grateful that I got led that path because I didn't go looking for it initially. It just sort of showed up in front of me in a way. Yeah. It finds you. <laughs> <laughs> it does indeed. Right? <laughs> yeah. So so tell me what your experience is like once you felt like the healing. Because they're in the transformation. Because because I think so many people are afraid. Like, I'm afraid to get a coach. I'm afraid to go to therapist, counselor, whatever, mm-hmm. because I don't know what's going to happen. And uh, it's too scary. It's out of my control. I don't want them telling me what to do. And da 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 So. How do you share? How do you share with people like, honey, it's going to be okay. It's going to be better than okay. Like you're not going to, you're going to, you're going to actually, I think, 
recognize yourself more. Yeah. The, the thing for me has always been that anything that I do that is in, in personal development or growth or whatever that is, the, the, the human awareness work gives me more insights to who I am. Mm-hmm. And when I work with my clients, you know, the thing about coaching is it's usually focused on a goal focus at some point, you know, right. help you get money in your business or help you find a new job or help you. Right. Find, that's stuff. Most of it really is helping people find themselves. Yeah. Because even though I work as a matter of relationships, it always starts with a relationship with ourselves. Yep. I mean, I'm actually being more blatant now. I used to say, you know, I hope you help you find a great relationship, but let's start with the one in the mirror. And now I go, no, let's start with the one in the mirror and then maybe we'll find the other one. Because <laughs> that's where all the work is. You know, the challenge for most people is that we've been, I won't say trained, but we've been indoctrinated by our culture yeah. to look for love outside and that that person over there is going to make us feel better so we're going to be okay, which is a total codependent experience. And the recognition is when we start to learn to love ourselves and have a healthy relationship with the one inside, then we can use a relationship that adds to that that's already there. Right. And first of all, we raise the standard of quality of who we choose because of what we have relationship with ourselves. That quality of choice goes up. Right. And secondly, we also don't take on as much stuff personally that other people do because a lot of people in a relationship, and I did this myself many times, would take blame for other people's issues mm-hmm. or upsets. And the biggest key, which is one of the biggest freedoms, is you don't have to take things personally. Huh. Yes, you've got to be responsible, of course. But when you start to recognize that when somebody else's stuff is their stuff, that it's not my job to fix it. Nice, they're paying me to do it. Like <laughs> 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 that, the one over there. But the thing is that is that it's it's easy for me to be comfortable. And the good thing about personal growth, which I think is the biggest gift, isn't necessarily about the external uh, accoutrements or the or the yeah. things you get to do in the world. It's the inner state that changes. Yeah. Relation I have with myself now from what it was thirty years ago. I'm so different than I was. I mean, obviously, age would add to that too. I mean, I've had a lot of experience in life in different countries and everything else. But the internal reference points I have are stronger, healthier, and more whole than they ever were before. Mm-hmm. That's the biggest gift I hope anybody could get. Which most people, I mean, many people never, never achieve. They never, they never look. Mm. And I feel like that's so many of our world issues are related to all that unhealed carting around this baggage stuff and having, you know, a yeah. lack of awareness about who you are and what your purpose is and what's the meaning of life and, and our connections and all that thing, all those things. Well, the th- I mean, to be honest, I think most political, most war wars are premised on the basis of, well, they want something somebody else has because they don't think they have enough themselves. Right. Most people aren't internally sourced. So they keep looking to take, take, take. Right. And to relationships, of course, as well, because people think that they'll feel better when the other person does something. And, and, I've, I've got a video series on YouTube called Cracking the Codependency Code with a friend of mine. And the, one of the keys to crack, crack, one of the keys of codependency is letting one person be the, co- the puppet master of the other person. Mm, because right. is, we give our power to somebody else when we, when we let somebody else do things that we get upset about. Right. And that's like, hang on a second. They're doing something. You're getting upset. Who's winning at this? Right. <laughs> right. And feeling, and feeling like, <clears throat> excuse me, feeling like, oh, they're controlling me. It's like, well, right. are they really controlling you? Or what? what's your collusion <laughs> in this yeah. situation? Like, where are you not taking control yourself? 
And that's the thing for most people. They've been because the way because unfortunately for most of us, our parents didn't teach us this. Right. Raised in a paradigm that they learned, which is the same thing. I mean, so many of us, and if you look back at our ancestry, our parents and grandparents, et cetera, we'll see the patterns that we're running that they did before as well. So we, we learn by example. Mm-hmm. That's the way the humans learn. We learn by watching and observing what's around us. And so for most of our relationship experiences, and I've talked about this from my master's program, I understood this, and also um, from Bruce Lipton, who wrote The Biology of Belief. Mm-hmm. We talk about this paradigm where we basically, as young kids, we learn how to do things by watching the parents, the adults around us. They model for us what to do because they're the adults. So we're the little kids going, oh, the big people do this. I will do that when I get I should do that, right. It's our wiring. So first five, six years of life, we take on a whole um, catalog of beliefs about how life works and it gets stuck in our unconscious, like a big warehouse full of knowledge information that we don't even think about anymore because it's unconscious. Then when we become an adult, we are living our life and we think we're making choices, but we notice somehow the same issues show up in our relationships every single time. Well, but the reason being we don't notice it because it's from our unconscious wiring and program we took on. Most of us tend to date and marry people that remind us of parents, whether it's good or bad, because the parents modeled for us and we didn't learn differently. I did. So I know I, I, it's a personal experience. And so what, what did you, what did you learn from your parents about love and relationships? Um, I learned, well, let's just, let me do this way. My early twenties and late teens of dating, I would be in a, a relationship with a girl or a woman for maybe three months at most, because each time I get together with them, it'd be wonderful. Again, chemistry, excitement, wonderful things happening. Right. And then there'd be an argument and that argument would be the reason I'd leave. Mm. Or I'd for more actually no, to be <clears throat> accurate. Argument happened, I would make them leave because I was lazy. Oh. <laughs> because my parents, the, the wiring I looked at is that my parents, that to the best of my memory and awareness, never argued in front of the kids. Mm-hmm. And I, what, I, what I did with that, I didn't realize until looking back with hindsight, 2020 hindsight's great is that my parents had taught me that arguments and love don't go together. Uh-huh. Because it's loving, no arguments. There's arguments, there's no love. So any relationship I got into where there was an argument, I immediately go, there's no love, I'm out. Mm. Without even asking or consciously inquiring or checking inside, I just go, there's no love, obviously, because they're arguing. Wow. I mean, the number of times... All I'm these just, assumptions, right? Yeah. And, I mean, the amount of times I missed out on makeup sex... <laughs> <laughs> That's one of my jokes I put in there just to, to lighten the mood a bit. <laughs> but it's the thing is, is that I didn't know that you could get beyond it. Yeah. You know, I do, thankfully. It's a lot, it's a lot better now than it used to be. Mm. But that, but even so, even, even done all this work, even when I'm around friends, when an argument comes up, it, I can feel the, the, the hooks of that in there. The reminders of when I was younger. Yeah. That that doesn't fit. The feelings of discomfort or unfamiliarity and like, oh, I don't know what to do with this. Or the, or the evaporation of love. Yeah. Fun stuff. <laughs> so how do you rewire that? Um, well, I, I did a lot of work again through my master's program, which is what I use in my coaching, is to really go back and, and to, first of all, get a, become aware of what caused it in the first place. What was the initial, what was the early belief systems that got put in place? Then change the beliefs. I mean, it's a bit of rewiring, so to speak. It's got, I, I, the term, the stuff I use a lot of things with healing of memories, which is what our USM skills called it, or parts integration, which is an NLP skill uh, right. set. Right. So it's a blend of different skills I've learned. I, I don't, I have, thankfully, because I've done through so, so many programs, so many teachings, I have a fairly big tool chest. Right. And a lot of skills have gotten conflated because they work better together. Right. So. And so, because I, 
I think that this is such an important issue for most people because mm-hmm. we we're not taught often good communication skills. First of all, um, right. actually, no. First of all, the awareness. <laughs> we're not taught to be is. aware. <laughs> yes, it's the awareness. Okay, what uh, what's coming up for me? What is this reminding me of? Who is this sounding like? You know, <laughs> all the things. It's like yeah. okay, I, then I have this awareness. So now I need to figure out. What does this mean? What's the story around it? What does this mean? And then I have to have a conversation about, oh, hmm, okay, this is what's going on. And this is what happened. And this is what reminded me of and blah, blah, blah. And so then you have to be able to have this open discourse. And so that the other person doesn't feel like, you know, slam, bombarded, judged, whatever, Yes. Uh, so it's just like, okay, here's this awareness and, and then you have your awareness and maybe you need to go away and process the same thing, you know, or similar in a similar way to come back to say, Oh, okay. Now what does this mean for us? Or what can we do with this? Because you each have your own individual, like <clears throat> perspective, worldview, way of operating. Absolutely. And how can you take those and create something bigger? in the third unit, which is the relationship container. Absolutely. Because the biggest piece of that, to what I was saying, is that when you become aware of your own pattern, the only thing you're running, it's not the other person's fault. It never was. But they were kind enough, to use those terms, to show you the piece that you weren't healing yet. Mm. The, the thing we talked about, again, in this journey, is we're called dovetailing patterns. Well, basically, if, if, if for example... If the person was raised in a family where there was a lot of addiction, maybe the father was a drunk or maybe the mother was a shopping addict or maybe the father was a workaholic. I mean, it could be any form of addiction, but it was some sort right. of addiction that the child right. is on the belief that they needed that in a relationship for love to be expressed because the association from the family, the dynamic was that being drunk was what the love was expressed through. So, mm. it was so when they meet somebody, they meet somebody, even though they don't actually do it intentionally, it's totally unconscious. Like it's, it's like we both have these attraction things going on, but then above that is these little radar going, I'm looking for somebody who's got an addiction pattern. I've got that. I'll bring it to you. You know, that sort of thing. Thanks. Just what I always ask for. <laughs> that, but that's the way patterns tend to work. They work, you know, on, like it's almost like a, um, it's an unconscious radar. thing. Yeah. Subconscious. Like, example, if somebody, um, you know, the father walked out in the family when they were young, they got an abandonment issue. They'll tend to, like if a woman, a child, girl was in a family that was like that, she would tend to attract boys, men, they would abandon her. It's almost guaranteed mm. because the wiring is in there and it becomes mm. like a magnet attracting what fits that magnet. So if you don't mind doing that, go for it. But if you want to change it, get some help. Because right. it can be changed. Right. Because we have these, I believe, from my own spiritual perspective, Mm-hmm. It's, um, did you ever read Wayne Dyer's book? There's a spiritual solution for every problem. I know the book. I've read a few of his books, but not that one. Yeah. Anyways, it's basically like whatever's going on is the mirror for what yeah. needs to be healed within you. And so I, I think that every situation, every challenge, every conflict, every, you know, difficult time, yes. um, is, a is put in our lives in order to help us either love and accept ourselves more or the other person, because those are the things that keep us wounded, you know, where we're not feeling seen or loved or cared for or validated or respected or whatever. It's like, 
How can I develop more of a sense of compassion for where I am? You know, doing you, like you said, looking in the mirror, doing that work with yourself first so that you can come forward and have some compassion for the other. That's the biggest piece because, you know, what I'm talking about here is stuff that you learned when you're three, four years old. Yeah. You didn't know any different. Right. So be, be kind, be compassionate to yourself to understand that what happened happened. If you're going to spend the time berating yourself for doing it, that's so unfair. You wouldn't do this to a three-year-old. Why would you do it to yourself? <clears throat> right. So be compassionate, be kind, be um, invitational to that forward to come forward. Part of the work I do is say healing memories is to really work with the inner child, not like childish stuff, but to really start speaking to the younger part of ourselves that yep. took on that belief yep. and nurture that part to be, as you said, be compassionate with that part so that you can go, I didn't know any different. Right. And the thing is, then you give it new new choices and new opportunities because that unconscious part of yourself is extremely loyal and extremely effective. So if you, one, have a way to communicate with that part, and then you say, you know, that isn't working. Let me give you some new skills. Mm-hmm. That part of you is going to be like, sure, no problem. Right. And then you can change your whole experience in relationships, anything actually with life. Because, again, we as three-year-old kids take on everything our parents demonstrate to us, whether it's money, relationships, health, food, business, whatever it is, because that's what they're teaching us. Right. I, yeah, I call it, <clears throat> I call it reparenting. You know, you're reparenting no, yourself Absolutely. because we are, we are a sum of all, you know, my two year old self, my three year old self, my five year old self, seven, 13, 17, blah, blah, blah. It's like yep. all of those parts are still in us. Mm-hmm. They're still in us. And so, you know, that's sometimes good that's good news, by the way. If you can't disown them, if you try disowning them, it will be, it, you make yourself incomplete. So absolutely. It's exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's the whole acceptance piece. It's like, mm-hmm. that's why I think compassion is so important because so many times it's like we judge ourselves. I'm, why did I do what? You know, mm-hmm. you, you get all twisted about it. And it's like, wait a second. I, I have said this to many clients as well. Like if you were, if this was your three-year-old or five-year-old having the same, right. you know, fit, <laughs> <laughs> how would how would you treat them? You would like yeah. scoop them up in your arms and hold them and say, "It's okay, sweetheart. It's okay. This will pass. We'll get through this. I'll help you get through this." Mm-hmm. So, how Absolutely. can we learn to do this for ourselves? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, and I do a lot of work with forgiveness as well with my clients, but that's one thing I have to learn myself is to really start learning how to disengage and undo all that judgmental bullshit we give ourselves. Yeah. Rules yep. we live by are just unfortunate. Yeah, a lot of judgment, a lot of shame, a lot of criticism, oh, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Guilt. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Forgiveness is, clear, is the clear, forgiveness is kind of the, um, the cleaning agent that wipes all that stuff out. But if I forgive, that means that, you know, I excuse. No, 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 no. <laughs> I, accept, I accept that bad behavior or I accept, you know, that it's like the mm. thing about forgiveness that's been unfortunately misconstrued. People think forgiveness is about the other person; it never is. Right? It's only about ourselves. It's the the way that I see. There's a quote somewhere I got it. On, I put it on Facebook a while ago. That forgiveness is kind of basically giving, discovering you have the key to this jail cell that you put yourself in. Yep. Because yeah. forgiveness is healing the judgments we carry. If someone has did something to you, you go, you forgive yourself. So you don't feel judged about what happened to you, and you go, "I'm not going to be around that person anymore." You choose differently. Right. So again, this is a way to be healthier and to make more honest choices. Mm. So, yeah, it's a good tool to have. Yeah, I, I, I've said too, like, 
you know, it's like your cart and bags and bags and bags and bags. And it's like, how are you able to move forward? You can't because that person who did that thing, they're still back there. I mean, they may be beside you, but whatever they did is still back there. And so, and so by you continuing to hold on to that emotional pull, it's like, you're just like weighing yourself down. So if you can learn to release and let go, then it is like unlock the door to the prison cell. It's like, you're free. So you don't, you're not attached. You're not attached to that sticky stuff. It's like, we're constantly having to like release the stuff that we hold in, within us for, I don't know what reason, what badge of courage, I mean, badge of honor, badge of suffering, badge of martyrdom. I don't know what. I think it's just a belief that we still would have to carry it around because it's who we are. And it's a false belief. You know, one, one of my favorite books I recommend to people if you want to discuss to have a little taste of forgiveness is a book called uh, Running from Safety by R- Richard Bach. Oh, Richard I Bach, love Richard Bach. Richard. I don't think I read that book, though. I've read all his, I think, well, I've read all his books up to about five years ago. He's, he's got a few new ones since then, but I, I mean, I started reading Johnson Livingston Seagull and Illusions uh, when I was in my teens. Uh huh. Yeah. I read those too. Yep. But running from safety is about his healing of his inner child. It's an, it's a beautiful story. Hmm. And it does have the metaphor of a kid being in a prison cell, hmm. but recognizing the fact is that when he forgives himself, the kid's free. Yeah. But the kid is inside, not outside. It's, it's, right. So it's, I, I'm, I'm, I love the story. It's a great, it's a great book. He's a great author. Oh yeah, I mean it's a it's for yourself. It's a gift you give yourself. Yes. But you have to give yourself permission to let go. Yeah. And I know there's a lot of really traumatic stuff that people have experienced and so mm-hmm. I know that it can be very very challenging, very very challenging. And sometimes um I remember a a, a client of mine, she had been abused by her dad for her whole teenage life. And she was like, I I can't forgive him. And I said, well, maybe it's not for you (laughs) to, maybe it's like, you have to lift it up to spirit. Just like you take care of that. I can't, I can't process and deal with this. Like I want to let go. I don't, you know, I want to maintain boundaries and do whatever, but I want to set myself free because I'm tired of carrying this weight on my shoulders. Way to the world. Most people in the situations, yes, they feel like they've got to forgive their oppressor. No. But the truth is, first of all, you know it's not the point. But what they don't realize is they're carrying so much guilt inside themselves about the abuse. Right. That's what the biggest work is. Because the thing is, all that weight that the person who's been abused carries right. is not even their responsibility to carry, but because they've been trained by the way their environment was, right. they didn't know how to let go. And so forgiveness is one of those key, those again, the key open the door. It's a method to release that baggage. So they can move forward. Like you're saying, dragging that baggage. When it's they, like, it's not oh, your fault. Right. It's not your fault. Even though you may have gone past that point where you stayed there because it was comfortable because you can't. Right. We thought loving was tied to that. So we stayed because right. of that. Right. We did know differently. But, right. You know, the truth is when we know differently, we tend to do differently. But it does take commitment, willingness, and action to do that. Yeah. It's yep. a continual learning process. Isn't life fun? It is. It's it's very fascinating. I think life is very very fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So how did you how did you get into this whole polarity and divine feminine and divine masculine? Like the, and working with primarily women. I think it's like you're a dude. 
<laughs> yes, indeed. Thanks for noticing. <laughs> <laughs> so, as I said, I've been on this journey for a long time. Yeah. I'm a master in spiritual psychology, been a spiritual counselor, been in personal development since 84, had some relationships along the way, but I wasn't doing them well. I kept making mistakes. I, and what happened again, because they were 2020 hindsight, I noticed three different relationships in a row over a period of 15 years where the same thing happened. Mm, patterns. And I was like, yeah. And I was like, hang on a second, three different women, same pattern. That's got to be me. Mm. I mean, kind of obvious, you know, in the sense. And what it, the last one who I broke up with, thankfully, and, and all three I'd met through this personal growth work because that's the world I was playing in outside of business. Right. The last one was kind enough to be blatantly upset with me, <laughs> frame that intentionally, <laughs> to lay into me and tell me what I was doing wrong, in quotes. Uh-huh. And it was the clue that I needed to go, hang on a second, something's not right. I'm not representing myself right. Because part, part of what I'd done over the personal growth journey in that many years was I'd actually become more feminine without realizing it. I was in a very soft place, very kind place. Even though I was in leadership roles, which what attracted them to me, I wasn't strong in a male energy because I had found or to go back a bit. When I was in, when I was a kid, I was, I was, I'm first born and being an English reserve family, my dad was not very emotionally expressive. Mm-hmm. He was very in the, in the macho mindset, like get the job done, take care of the family and that's it. No, nothing else. Right. It wasn't, wasn't caring, conscious, aware, and that sort of stuff that wasn't in a vocabulary or it was in a family. And I could not, feel myself doing that. I was so not drawn to that. I was more close to my mother in a sense. Mm-hmm. So I, most of my teen years being the nice guy at school. So I got bullied by other boys, but I was safe around the ghosts. In fact, they would cry my shoulder for the breakups because I was the nice guy. Nice. So they, would, they would come to me. They right. me. So my teen years was an interesting paradigm where I was, a, where I was away from the boys and safe around the girls mm. and straight. I wasn't gay. I was straight. <laughs> Just to be clear. <laughs> but I wasn't, but I, but I, I didn't have the, at that time, the skills to be able to court the women. And plus, it was one reason I was safer because I wasn't hitting on them. Right. So moving forward, again, personal growth journey, all the, all the stuff was changing. I became very smart, very aware, very self-supportive, but still messing up relationships. And the last one, she basically, what she wanted me to be was like a reminder of her grandfather who was a cowboy back in the Midwest, who was like macho, take charge, getting things done. And I got the essence of that, but I couldn't do it because being macho was so against who I was. Yeah. I knew the macho was such a, um, when I whole rant about toxic machoism, not toxic masculinity, that's another place right, entirely. Right, right, right. Anyway, so I knew something was off. And again, don't want personal growth work. It's like, what else is there? What do I need to do? I, I literally was at the point where I'm going, I I'm perfect. Well, I wasn't saying that. No, none of that. <laughs> <laughs> so I was saying, like, I've done all these seminars, I've read all these books, I know all this stuff. Yeah. What am I missing? What's so clearly not there? And that was, that was the end of 2006. And 2007, you know, basically I was kind of going, you know, God, show me a sign. Give me a clue. Something like, you know, cause I do have, I do have a good relationship with, I believe with my with spirit with where I'll ask for things and I'll get clues, signs, yeah. you know, hints, whatever it is and things fall in place. So three months after that breakup, I was coming out of my spiritual home, which is a Garpy in LA. Garpy spiritual center is oh, my spiritual yeah. home. They're going for, for 28 years. I was coming out of there on a, after, one of the evening after service on Wednesday and this woman was walking in the corridor. I'd never seen her before. She was gorgeous, blonde, blue eyed suntan, white sundress, looking absolutely radiant. And even after all this journey of personal growth work, talking to cute women wasn't my easy comfort zone. <laughs> it was not something I could do comfortably. It's 2007. And she walked towards me. What I got the sense of was spirit had like neon signs overhead pointing at the same, talking to this woman. 
Because yeah. I was like, she was radiating, she was glowing. Something was, I mean, I couldn't tell what it was, but something was about this woman. And my usual way would have been to like avoid her or go somewhere else because she was too good for me, sort of thing, the whole uh-huh. parent side. Uh-huh. But I went up to her and what came out of my mouth was something on the lines of, um, excuse me, you're glowing. Where have you been? She burst out laughing, thankfully. And, and we started talking and she got back from this retreat, which I then went to the introduction the following weekend. And that led me to the first training, um, with a company out of Vancouver called Warrior Sage. Oh, and Warrior Sage run by a couple, uh, couple, husband, and wife, Satyana, Suzanne, Raja. And they were doing the seminars in LA and San Francisco at the time, but they're now they're just doing Vancouver where they're based. But anyway, so I went to the seminar and that weekend, the, the experience, the, the journey, and it was basically rooms half men, half women. And when they do great dialogues and great conversations and practice stuff like that, but then we go into separate rooms every couple of hours and men would do masculine practices, women do feminine practices. Huh. This would go on through the weekend. And each time we come back and we do more dialogue and everything else, but the last break we came back on Sunday, instead of sitting in the chairs facing the front, we stood facing each other. Mm-hmm. And the men were on one side, like a wall of men, deep in our masculinity, strong brotherhood connected. About, and again, 50 men, 50 women, something like that. We were standing along one, one side and the women facing across the other side. They were all in their feminine. What they'd done, I don't know because they were in a different room when they practiced. Right, we right. were masculine. So simultaneously, now the women basically were beaming their femininity, like there's 50 women radiating and exuding this feminine juiciness and sexiness. And Oh, wow. Power. I bet it was powerful, man. It was, it was life-changing. <laughs> I mean, I was standing along amongst the men on the other side. And simultaneously, like, standing there solid. Well, yeah. Simultaneously, I was grounded into the earth, and my like my, my legs were like, like felt like tree trunks. It was not so much work to deepen and hold in a masculine space. It was really rock solid. I felt great. Internally, I was on the floor in worship of the feminine. It was oh. like immediately I got that hit of what that was. Wow. And in that, in that moment, I've dedicated my life to that ever since. That was the turning point wow. in 2007, where I saw the difference. And so I've done a lot of work since then. I've done that training. I've done probably half a dozen times. And I've facilitated as well. Or I should say staffed it. And I've also done work with David Data, Alison Armstrong, and the teachers too. So refining my work. But it changed me because I, I learned what masculinity was because I didn't have a framework at that point. Cause up to that point, I had macho like my dad. Right. Or a nice guy like I had been. Right. I didn't know it was a third, I didn't know it was a third choice, which is to be masculine. And the way I've learned to define it and, and from the teachings is the macho man is generally very self-centered, very selfish. Mm-hmm. And it's generally ego driven. So it's usually neck up. Right. Not much heart. And mostly like, you know, balls and, and, and ego sort of things, kind of the machoism. Whereas right. the masculine man has a really strong, powerful heart, but also a straight spine because he's about direction and clarity and service. The mm-hmm. masculine heart guides a man to make a difference and be an impact in the world. But it's not about him. It's about what he's bringing. And that was a game changer for me because, again, it was like all the all, all pieces like fit in place. It suddenly felt like I put on a new suit. Like I felt realigned to myself. And... Part of that was, and this is what David Data talks about too, is a man's purpose must come before his relationship. And that purpose became clear again in that moment that my work is dedicated to serving the feminine on the planet. And so because I have at that point 35 years of skills, I wanted to bring it into coaching and speaking about relationships because I knew enough now to help a lot of people have healthy relationships. I don't think... Many men, I mean, maybe this is a total generalization, but I think a lot of men, well, and maybe women too, don't know their purpose. They're not clear. No, I didn't have no, oh, they have no clue. They walk around like, okay, well, I have a family and oh, I'm doing this work. And oh, I'm like, 
That's why so many, men, uh, so, so many men after they retire will be dead within five years. Because they don't have their purpose. Because their job was their purpose, or they thought it was until that point. The challenge also, and again, part of the cultural shift of the planet is, I have a whole thing about being, respect for women is coming up a lot in my work now, and I actually write some essays on that. But for men especially also is to know what, what we're really here for. Because most men are driven by selfishness. I mean, yes, there's a, there's that's a, the, that's the term narcissist. Well, that's, well, narcissism is an extreme level because yeah. narcissism is not, you know, it's like a small percentage of the population, but selfishness is more prevalent because most men have either been through, through a sense of altruism being selfish for their family. Uh-huh. Ultimately selfish is self-preservation, not in a healthy way. Uh-huh. Because the thing is the masculine, the masculine man has a willingness to sacrifice. The masculine man is dedicated to a cause again, bigger than himself, so that he won't do it. So like, it's like, I'm doing it. I'm, I'm not going to do that because I want to take care of him. Like, I'm, I'm selfish. I'm going to do it for me. That's the machoistic point of view that the term, that's one reason I have an issue with the term toxic masculinity because that's not true. Yeah. Masculinity is never toxic. The, the toxicity comes from machoistic behavior. Right. And I talked about, I've had, a, I've done a few rants about that. Yeah. <laughs> so for me, because I realized for myself that machoism was something I, I hated being around because my father was a, was a reminder of that. So when I was around other men who were, to, were macho, I would basically to walk away. I couldn't, I couldn't play with that. Yeah. But being in a masculine place now and having been for the last 15 years and, and still practicing, it's not a, not a one-time thing. Right. No, it's an ongoing really, journey. No, but I've really gotten that I can stand in my truth around any environment and not, not waver. And the key of that for me is I can hold a space that can change people's lives when I'm really holding truth to that place. Now, they may not know it, and I'm not going to do it intentionally. But uh, the women, it's funny because, again, back in my teens, I was a nice guy around the women that were safe with them. Now I have lots of women around me because they trust me. Not safe-based, it's trust-based. It's mm-hmm. a little shift. But because of who I am, I don't have this hunger or need for a woman, which a lot of men still carry, unfortunately. So and that's not- and that's sexually as well? Or just a need, like to need, cause you said, I don't have a need for a woman, you know, well, sexually or just a, in a partnership, like an emotional partnership or. The, 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 let me put it this way. I don't have that blatantly out there all the time. Like a lot of men do the uh-huh. hunger, the yearning, the need for sex or for connection. That sort of thing. A lot of men carry drives women away. And yeah. I did that for a while. I remember that very vividly, vividly. Now I have a place where I'm so sensitive myself. Yes. I would love to be with a woman in a relationship that is a partnership that works together, but I don't need that. Mm-hmm. That's the biggest gift I've been given by this work is that I am fulfilled by what I do. Again, purpose first. So that when I meet somebody, if she adds to my life and adds to right. my work, right. then we can talk. Right. But if she pulls anything from that, I'm walking away. Bye-bye. Tell, tell me again, because you said you said something about being in your heart and standing straight in your spine. Can yes. you repeat that? Yeah. Can you repeat that for me? Simplest definition for me of masculinity is a straight spine, which is clarity, direction, and purpose, uh-huh. and open heart for compassion and caring. So okay. that what drives a masculine man is a direction and a focus about what he's up to in the world, which might be, you know, planting trees. It might be raising a family. It might be changing the world. Uh-huh. But it's always driven from a caring place, not from a mental process. The mind mm-hmm. is there, but it's a servant to it. But most of the macho guys are all about ego-driven, like selfish, take, take, take. Right. That's the difference. How many cars can I get? How big is my house that I get? You know, yeah. blah, blah, blah. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I have no problem. I mean, I would love a nice big house and a nice couple of guys. I don't have a moment. 
but I'm okay with where I am. And that's the thing about the masculinity is that who I am is okay. Those things would be fun to have, but not, I don't have to have that to prove I'm anything. Because right. the macho is all about proving. Right. Well, that's the insecure ego. Absolutely. Yeah. Macho is insecure. Right. And so then, okay, so if so if uh, the masculine is about, you know, standing straight in your direction, clarity, purpose, and, mm-hmm. and still connecting with an open heart, then what is the feminine? The feminine is, well, mother nature is a female. Let's be clear about that. Yeah. So nature is mother. So the feminine is everything. Feminine is life. So the feminine life force. can definitely have it's, it's a force of nature, literally. I mean, the feminine is amazing. The, the way that Alison Armstrong puts it, which I love talking about that too, is the masculine is very, very we are, because of direction and purpose, we're very linear. We're very, fo- very right. focused, which is the problem for, for men is we don't oftentimes have good peripheral vision. We become <laughs> very, very, that's the way we're, we're wired. Women have much compartmentalized. Exactly. So it's, it's like in the olden days, the old paradigm was men would be hunters. They go hunting for the prey, so they'd be laser focused on the prey. But the thing is, men had to go in hunting parties because they couldn't do it alone because they wouldn't be able to protect their own backsides. Right. Because you always focus forward. So right. it's like you've got to have each other cover each other. The feminine energy, though, is the is the gatherer and protector. So it's not just the women gathering all the food and everything else. They need to discern what's good, what's bad. Plus, they've got to protect the village from all the predators, protect from other people. So the feminine was very strong, but in collaboration. The big gift of the feminine is cooperation and collaboration. Mm-hmm. The feminine brings people together. The masculine is more about taking things, going out for the goal, for the focus. So it's a different, again, energetics. Feminine is more energetic and circular. Mass is more pointed, to, to use an illustration that way. As well as anatomically. Well, that's, I'm not, that's why I'm going to be careful I say that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I, I say that. It's like the straight and the circular, and that's the masculine. That's the masculine well, and the feminine. Gen- speaking genitalia, yeah, yeah, absolutely. It- <laughs> But yeah, but the thing is, but, but the, and the women are curvy and the men are more, you right. know, exactly. It's more straight. Yeah. And the, and the thing is also that for the feminine, the, and this is something I was talking about in the clubhouse room this morning about that. What we, what hasn't been admitted is the power of the feminine. Yes. You know, women are the ones that birth everybody on the planet. Hello. Much more powerful. <laughs> you have a mother. Right. Exactly. Somebody gave birth to you. <laughs> exactly. We didn't come out of test tubes. So, so men, when men finally get the power of the feminine and respect it, and most masculine men do respect it, that's in our DNA because of the understanding or now awareness, that's when things are going to change. Yeah. You know, but a lot of women also aren't living the feminine. Now, again, I dated women back in, in my early dating life, or I should say mid, late, mid-dating life, who were much more masculine than I was. They were more driven, they were more getting things done, there were more things happening. The last one of those three relationships I thought about, she asked me out. That wasn't right. a clue. What was <laughs> right? Well, but I I was talking to somebody else on a on a different show earlier this week, and she said, you know, she, her dad left. She was a, her mom was a single mom, and her mom said, "Don't trust men. Be independent. Take care of yourself. You don't need anybody." You know, so it's like we're bombarded with all these different messages of who yes. should I be, and so everybody's kind of messed up. Really, it's true. Yeah, right that's the thing. And, and the, and the whole devaluation of the feminine for lifetimes and generations. Anyways, it's like your property. I can do what I want. You know, you can't do what you want. You know, so there's this whole like we, mix. A lot of healing to do. Yeah. Women have, I mean, I was, I, I was on a call somewhere recently. Someone said this and I was amazed. Women didn't have credit cards to the early seventies. I know. That's crazy. <laughs> and, and, and they also, needed their husband's permission. Exactly. 
So the, the feminine freedom, so to speak, the sexual revolution was so needed because women needed to really claim their space in the world. I mean, you know, it's only been right. 110 years since women right. got the right to vote. To vote. Yep. So that, so I, I'm definitely, I'm, that's the reason I serve the feminine because I know that the future is fem, the future is female. I'm saying it out loud as a man. So the reason I am in a man in this place, because I know that that's, this, that's going to save everybody, frankly. I mean, there's the, power in yeah. community. There's power in collaboration. Yeah. There's there, because I think that whole, the whole hierarchical structure is that macho control power. I need more. I got to get, yeah. get, get. Um, and it, it, put other people it. down because I'm threatened. Yeah. My position is threatened as opposed to we're like, let's try to honor and respect all of our gifts. You know, how can we share and uplift each other? Well, if, history was basically driven by machoism and it was win lose. Right. The feminine more win win. Right. It's like, how can, how can everybody win? And right. we haven't, we've only had glimpses over the years of what win win looks like. And we keep coming to a place where, well, no, we're going to have to, we to prove we're better than they are. We can't come collaboration or cooperation with them because that proves weakness because weakness is what is the excuse for not owning the fact that we can have both. So yeah, it's why can't, why can't I learn from you? Right. Or As, what, or not why, but what, what can I learn from you? Yeah. Because that's an indication of weakness. If you don't know everything, then you may be weak in the other person. Therefore, you can't trust them. It's, 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 this whole convoluted mentality of people not trusting each other is the biggest game people are playing against themselves. But that's not trusting yourself. I know. Because if, because if you're trusting in yourself, you don't need other people's right. validation. It's that I'm standing sturdy and strong and knowing, you know, and rooted, like grounded, rooted in my, um, in my identity. And my sovereignty. In and so I don't, and my authority, yeah, my integrity, uh, uh, my source, my source, my sourcefulness. That's why I focus on people's self-relationship first, because that's where all of that lies. Because, because any relationship you have after that is much healthier. Because you have the one inside is healthy. And it, and it's, and it's taking both because we both have, we <clears throat> each have both of those energies within us. It's mm -hmm. like, I need to be the strong, sturdy, you know, capable goal oriented agency. I say it's like a tree, you know, the mm -hmm. masculine energy is holding all of the creativity and life force, you know, and the, and the rootedness is the, the, right. the feminine, like spreading, spreading and, and touching, you know, that communal, that communal system. And then, then the growing out of the strong sturdy is that creativity expansion. Yeah. And so we both hold the both in us. Yeah. And so when you learn to honor and nurture both of it, then you feel you're able to allow other people to do the same. And then you can have this ebb and flow within yourself and within your relationships. But the key thing is to learn where you reside naturally and honor that. Yeah. You, know, you can move back and forward and you can do as you need, but it's like, because the other place is not rigid. It's really fluid in that sense. Of course. But there's something that when I, when I, when I really felt what it felt like to be a masculine man, it was like it clicked things into place for me that have never changed since they become so innate in me because I now know this is who I was always, who I always was, but didn't know it and didn't know how to get there. And so that's been the cornerstone of where I go from here. And the the thing about the feminine, and I'll say this this way, the analogies I've heard from my friends, uh, from my teachers have been amazing. One of the analogies 
is that, and it's funny because I, I remember going back six, eight months ago when we had the uh, supply chain issues and all those, uh, mm-hmm. t- those big container ships out stuck yeah. on the ocean can get into ports. There was lockdowns. Right, right. So I'm in LA and Long Beach Harbor and that LA Harbor had hundreds of ships out on the ocean, queued up, couldn't get in. Some of these things are oh, massive ships right. there. The ships are, you know, they're like, you know, quarter of a mile, half a mile long. These are huge ships with thousands of containers on them. And those ships basically, you know, they, they're very ponderous. They don't turn very easily. That's the masculine. Mm-hmm. The ocean, the ocean it sits on, that's the feminine. So the difference of scale, understanding that when we look at the masculine and feminine energies, again, feminine is nature. Feminine energy is much, much bigger than the masculine in the sense of the power it carries. Mm-hmm. It needs, deserves, requires our respect as masculine men to be honored. So it can be one restored in a sense. Right. But two, so we know a better relationship with it. And for men, especially, we have a role to play in the service of that, not the domination of that. How can you teach men this? Like I'm, I'm just thinking, <laughs> please share this with all the men. <laughs> please, well, please. The, what, what is interesting? Cause that's been the question that come up a lot of times. The frustration for me, and, and I've been on this work journey for a long time is I don't, and I say another way. I haven't found the vehicle that reaches men when they go, I want to learn this because women love hearing this. This is the thing. Yeah. I mean, that's why I was talking to women about it. Right. It's my, my joy. Right. The only way I think it works is if they talk to men, the women talk to the men. I've noticed in, in this talking, speaking world, in the coaching world, especially women tend to listen to men in a lot, in ways that work. And a lot of men listen to women in a lot of ways. There's something about that cross gender piece that makes it easier when men listen to other men. The person leading has to have done things that man wants to do the same as or better than. Mm-hmm. So it's like a demonstration type stuff. And for men who listen to women, that piece isn't there. When men listen to women, they're listening for the secrets and the clues, the understanding of how women work, which is great. But when a woman is teaching them, has to teach them really the power of the feminine so they can respect it. Yeah. And I have some women friends who are leaders of men who are amazing because they do know how to honor that space in themselves. And I'll happily talk to men if they want to listen, but most men aren't want to listen, to be honest. Some men do, and I've got friends who do listen, which is great, and some men who stand with me in this work as well. But we are a, a drop in the bucket compared with the rest of the world yeah. so far. Well, compared to the rest of the world, as you think that there are other cultures who do this better? Oh, do it worse. Is it both? I mean... China, for example, has a whole different issue with the oh. way they treat men and men there. Terrible. South America has some more paradigms they're growing out of. Much there, there's, there's, there's pockets in different countries that are yeah. different partnering systems. Yeah. Of course, I can only speak to the Western Northern Hemisphere type stuff because, frankly, that's where I've lived my life. Uh-huh. Um, but there's a lot of work to be done here. <laughs> no, there is. And it's funny because, you know, I've, I've sort of focused on helping women heal. But mm-hmm. trust me, I've talked to a lot of men and I think maybe I should be talking to men <laughs> because, because when, because when I talk to them, they listen, they yeah. really listen. They're like, really? What? I, I didn't know that. Uh, uh, you know, that's, you know, now of course I, I say like, well, my former spouse never listened to me when I was trying to talk about this stuff. He wasn't open at all, but right. Knowing that, and well, that's, that's one a big of the piece. Yeah. yeah, that's one of the gifts. Is, is also, it's maybe better to talk to men who are not your intimate partners. <laughs> yeah. 
I'm not your client. Well, I know you're not my client. <laughs> I don't want you to be my client. I actually want you to be my partner. But when you're not showing up as my partner, you know, that's the reason I'm not choosing a relationship until I meet somebody who stands on the same level I do, because otherwise they're a client and that doesn't work. Right. Right. You do incredible work. Like I wanted, I just want to be around you and work with you. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So I think we're like good on time. Oh, good. I mean, I could have like 12 more, at least 12 more conversations with you, which perhaps we shall on another I'm date. Open. I'm open. Yeah, I'm open to that. <laughs> yeah, because I love to talk about this and you love to talk about this. I do indeed. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of, you know, philosophical ideas and constructs <laughs> and relational and emotional and spiritual and, you know. Uh, so I get super excited to have these conversations. So I'm super um, appreciative of you being here today, Barry. An absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. <laughs> okay. So the, so the last question that I asked my guest is because this podcast is called Wake Up to Real Love. Yep. How do you how do you define real love? Ooh. Simple answer. Mm. Nah. Well, real love is what love real love is. Free of attachment to conditions. Mm-hmm. Real love is self-sourced first. Mm-hmm. Real love is joyful and expansive and self-fulfilling. Mm. And it's fun to share with other people. Yeah, that's beautiful. <laughs> that's beautiful. Thank you. All right. Sure. How, so how can people get in touch with you? work with you find um, out more about you basically thankfully pretty much everything online is my name which is barry selby so my website is barry i have a bunch of stuff on there you can get a discovery session on my homepage. on there. there's also my online course my book a few other things are on there too my books on amazon as well um tell them the name of the book yeah 50 ways to love your lover yeah. only 50 I'm, ways only 50, 50 ways, ways? well it's 50 principles of healthy relationship it's not 50 shades of gray <laughs> <laughs> just to be clear um but all my social media, including my YouTube channel, which has got 1,500 videos on it. Which is I know. That's incredible. Well, it started out as Facebook Lives. They got carried away. And I got, I've done a bunch of <laughs> a thousand talks. They got carried away. So Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, um, Clubhouse, TikTok, all that stuff is Barry Selby. Instagram is the only exception because my original account got hacked. So uh-huh. it's the real Barry Selby on Instagram. But everyone else is the Barry Selby. As so. opposed to the fake Barry Selby? No. You don't, well, show, you don't show up no. fake. No. <laughs> thank you i appreciate that <laughs> yeah i know he's you know where he says oh yeah i have 1500 videos on youtube i'm like what 1500 yeah. oh my god that's incredible that's like your your depth of of insight and wisdom and your depth of work is just profound like i'm <laughs> i've been a student of this stuff for, for almost 40 years now i'm actually in a new course starting in january I'm in a program right now as a student. So I'm always learning because the thing is yes. for me, that's the, that, that one of the things about this work is it doesn't end. Yes, correct. It's easy to rest on my laurels if I wanted to. I have a master's degree. I have a this and that. Yeah, right. Yeah. And? And, and <laughs> so. And who are you being in this moment? Yeah. So the more I want to teach, the more I do teach, the more I'm going to learn new things and keep bringing new things to the table for my audience. Yeah. So Yeah, it's really, it's really beautiful. You're an amazing man. Human. Thank you. Yeah. 
So, um, okay. So my, the mantra of my podcast, which you just said it so well earlier on in the podcast (laughs) is Mm -hmm. the most important relationship you'll ever have is the one you have with yourself. Yeah. All that work starts here. Absolutely. Because that's, because that's the foundation for every other relationship in your life and how you show up in relationship and business and the world, your purpose. I mean, all of of this. So I'm so honored to be a little blip in the part of your journey. (laughs) Hopefully I'll be a bigger blip. (laughs) We can collaborate and work together more. Um, Yeah, that would be super fun because you know that I'm super passionate about this stuff too. Like, yeah, I love it. I love it. I I know that this is my purpose. Just like yours. Yeah. Yeah. The the more we, more of us doing this, the better anyway, because frankly, the planet needs our help. Yeah, because we're not taught. No, I mean, it's the thing. I mean, as one thing I said recently about this is that, you know, they have sex education in high school, but not relationship education. Well, and it's not even real sex education. It's like, you know, don't, don't have sex, use condoms, here are STDs, and that's all you get. But they don't teach interpersonal skills. They don't teach relationship paradigms. So it's like, okay, you can have sex with somebody. How do you date them? They don't teach you that. Right. (laughs) Somehow it's well. Well, if your parents taught you, well, most parents don't really talk about that stuff either. Most parents don't know. Most most parents don't know how to do it anyway. Second, they teach what they don't know. Right. Exactly. So that's, I mean, so that's why I started this podcast. That's why I have these conversations so that we can all, you know, so that all of our collective wisdom is helping educate people and helping um, give people like insights like, oh, maybe I should try that or, oh, that's something that I should be aware of or, oh, this is something that perhaps I should examine in myself, be curious about so that we all can feel more of a sense of peace. Like you said, like when you said that, that was the first time I felt really in myself, you know, like I was solid in myself. Like I feel like hardly any people have that sense of peace and rightness with who they are. It's, it's a road and you know, it's, it's, Frankly, there's no shortcuts. You're going to do the work yourself. Yeah. And it's never done. <laughs> well, you know, Richard Buck in Illusion said, it is the way to discover your mission on Earth is finished. If you're still here, it isn't. <laughs> <laughs> I say that's a heart. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like you're constantly growing and evolving. So uh, what a beautiful conversation, Barry. I'm sure that all of our listeners... Uh, will be inspired and you know there's so many takeaways so many yeah so much wisdom so please subscribe to the wake up to real love podcast give five star reviews share with your friends because this is how we this is how this ripple effect goes you know out into the world where we're just spreading more love sharing more inspiration and wisdom and uh you know helping people heal and really live from their hearts mm-hmm live from their hearts instead of being disconnected and, you know, staying in their minds. It's like, we're all a system. I've been talking about this a lot. Like we're a system, mind, heart, body, soul. And when we disconnect from any parts of those systems, we're not operating as well as we could, you know, like a well-oiled machine. So when we connect with that heart, I mean, even you said, even in the masculine, it's like my purpose comes from my heart. Yeah. So when we tap into that, then we can really change the world. Absolutely. Powerful. 
So for, for me and my gig, <laughs> if you want to, if you want to find out more about me, I'm on all the socials, uh, uh, either Dawn Richard, R-I-S-H-A with an accent, R-D, um, or at the Awakening with Dawn, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, blah, blah, blah. Um, and of course the, the podcast. So I'm have a few things in the works that I'm working on that were coming out soon courses and a membership um, site and group um, and lots of really good things to help everyone improve their relationships and create more love in their life. So, so grateful and honor and appreciative of you and your beautiful heart and soul, Barry, you're incredible. Thank you. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you, thank you. Thank you. So you're welcome back anytime, of course. I look forward to it. All right. So every day, listeners, wake up to more and more real love. Thank you. We'll see you next time. Take care. Subscribe to the Wake Up to Real Love podcast. Leave five-star reviews. And of course, share with your friends. You can find Dawn on various social media platforms at Dawn Richard or at The Awakening with Dawn.